you really are the one that's showing up in the relationship. It's not this alternative reality version of you who's a Jew. So you with all your baggage, all your issues, all your commitment phobias, whatever it is that you're showing up with. Hi there, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is co-hosted by myself and my dear childhood friend and soul sister, Seema Goldstein. In honor of Chai Elul, we learned a talk from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which I will link in the show notes, about what Chai Elul is, what the founders of Chassidus brought to our lives, and how we can use our understanding of their individual philosophies to further integrate the truth of God's reality into our world. This episode turned into a really raw farbringen about what it actually means for us as young Chabad women living in our particular moment to serve God in the most pneumistic way, in a way that truly brings our full selves to the table. I really encourage you to listen to the end because this conversation was definitely a process. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. If you agreed, disagreed, have similar experiences, you can email us at info at humanandholy.com or reach me via Instagram at humanandholy. Join us today as we talk about Hasidus and how it invites us to serve God in the deepest way possible. Before we get started talking about Chayelul and talking about the Sicha that we learned together in preparation for this conversation, I just want to ask you, Seema, to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're passionate about, what you're into, what you do. Feel free to include whatever you want. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Seema Goldstein. I am first and foremost, Tanya's childhood friend. We've known each other since we were little babies. And I feel so lucky to have her as a friend. And just a little bit about myself. I grew up in Houston, Texas on Shluchus. I'm an artist. I really, I love art, not just like painting, but I love philosophizing about art. I love the experience of it. I love what art gives me access to, like as a human being and understanding like Hashem. I love Hasidus. I love learning about the human experience and hearing about what other people's perspectives are like. And I just find human beings fascinating in general. <laughs> so human holy, let's do it. Awesome. Thank you, Zima. I'm so happy to have you here. Today, we are doing a podcast in honor of Chayelul. Chayelul is the day when the Baal Shem Tov, who's the founder of the Hasidic movement, was born. And it is also the day when the Alter Rebbe, who is the author of the Tanya, was born too. So the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe were born the two fathers of Hasidus. The Baal Shem Tov is the father of general Hasidus, and the Alter Rebbe is the father of Chabad Hasidus specifically. 
Chayelul is a very special day for Chassidim and for anyone who sees Chassidus as their guide in life. Chassidus is the neshama of Torah. And these two souls came into the world. And it's kind of like the birthday of the whole concept of Chassidus. Well, for example, when we think about what a birthday is, like my birthday or your birthday, and like what that means is if we're intentional about it, we can really kind of spend the day having an understanding of how purposeful our coming into this world was and all the things that come out of that experience. So when we think of a tzaddik's birthday, especially somebody like the Alt Rebbe and the Baal Tov, their birthday is the day where what we have access to becomes possible. Like the neshama that brought that into the world became a reality. And during that day, specifically on the same day, which is like, whoa, two for the price of one. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's obviously like a really sacred energy going on on Chayel. Yeah. They were both born on Chayel. Yeah. So this Sikha is talking about how Parsha's Kisavo is a, always around Chayel. So it's like a combined spiritual energy that we could tap into. And so in the first Pasuk of Parsha's Kisavo, we say that when B'nai Israel enters the land, then after they enter it, they have their inheritance. Then after that, they bring the Bikurim. So Rashi comments on that what does it mean to enter? It means that every single person entered. So Tanya, if I had my house in Yerushalayim and you in Tel Aviv didn't quite move in yet, we would not be able to bring Bikurim. I would have to go over to your house and help you move in. And then we'd be able to say, okay, now everyone's here. Now everyone's settled. We can give Bikurim. So that Rashi is basically what the rest of the Sikha is based on. Yeah. So then because Chayel is in the week of Kisavo, like we were saying, this language of be of coming, it obviously means that you're coming entirely, that like you are settled, your friends are settled, your entire nation is settled, you're fully settled. And even if one person is not settled, then no one else is settled. Connecting this to Chayel, the Rebbe deduces that Chassidus is an invitation for our divine service to be in that complete bia, that complete arrival, that complete homecoming and everyone being fully, fully settled and every part of ourselves being fully settled. And the example that the Rebbe gave that I thought was so beautiful was a mikvah that according to Jewish law, when someone is immersing in the mikvah, even if one hair is not immersed, it's not considered to be a kosher tefillah. So Obviously, mistakes happen, but the concept is basically that immersion is total immersion, is every single part of a person's body, is every single strand of hair. And Hasidus invites us into a similar relationship with our Yiddishkeit and with our Judaism, which is that it's total immersion. The word that the Rebbe used that I thought was beautiful was it's a total hisyashvas, it's a total like settledness in your Yiddishkeit. Just as the Jews fully settled in the land, we are being invited to fully settle within our Judaism through learning Chassidus and implementing it. And knowing the Rebbe, the Rebbe is not saying that like you're fully settled and you can relax. Mm. Mm-hmm. I feel like in general thinking, you know, we're, the world is very into self-care, take time to, to just relax and sit back. And then a lot of times you hear messages that the Rebbe was saying that was like, no. <laughs> no retiring, no stopping. The world has things that you need to do. And I actually think that very much relates to what the Sikha was saying in this process of like, even if I feel settled, 
<laughs> Even if I feel like, oh, I can relax now, I can't relax mm -hmm. because Tanya in Tel Aviv needs me to help her move in. And so there's no room for being fully satisfied in that way. Mm. I could still feel secure and I could still feel fully embraced by Hashem in the completeness of what I'm doing. But that doesn't mean that once that happens, it's, it's over, <laughs> unfortunately, because, mm -hmm. you know, that'd be nice to just hang out and chill and whatever. And I'm sure there's <laughs> space for that. I don't know. It's a really hard balance. And for being like honest about it, I think it's very much part of being human and holy, figuring that out. It's so interesting that you're bringing this in. And I'm like, this is why I love discussing ideas with people is because I saw this in a totally different light. What you are expressing is that this message is saying that you can't be content until everyone is settled, until every part of you is not settled, but till everyone is engaged, till every part of you is engaged, till every part of yourself is immersed in Yiddishkeit. And I saw it in a bit of a different way. Like I saw it as like, you feel the need to exclude parts of yourself from your Yiddishkeit. You feel the need to compartmentalize your Yiddishkeit. You feel like there are parts of yourself that like probably can't have a seat at the table of your Yiddishkeit. And the Rebbe is saying like, no, the message of Hasidus is total immersion is how are you going to figure out the underlying message, meaning purpose behind every part of who you are. And I know for myself, like all of my flaws are also my gifts. And so that concept of total immersion is like, when I look at my flaws and I'm like, you are not welcome here, which might be true, but really if I express it so simplistically, I'm also losing out on my gifts. So it's like being able to identify how I can transform every part of who I am, how I could engage every part of who I am in my Yiddishkeit and how I could not be afraid of any of my character traits, struggles, and recognize that they can all be a part of my Avaitis Hashem and are all a part of my mission in this world. I am so with you, Tanya. I absolutely love that. And I typically really relate to what I, I still relate to what you're saying right now. I think Personally, in my everyday avoda of like toiling with myself, I very, very much am on the same page as what you're discussing right now. And what's so, so beautiful is that based on what this is saying, there is nothing inside of you that can't be a part of this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say, okay, I have this part of me that's able to participate in Yiddishkeit that fits into the box. It fits into what is typical. It fits into what, I mean, some people like, you know, honestly, I'm talking from experience of growing up in the Chabad community or Orthodox world. So for me, fitting in the box means to be Orthodox, but there, I'm sure there are many people that for them, that being Balchuba is the rebellion, is them leaving the box. But mm -hmm. that aside, I have parts of me that are not, they don't fit into that agenda, so to speak. And that's what the rabbi is saying. The Rebbe is basically saying that your inner world is beautiful and anything that shows up within that can arrive, can come and be home, really. And it's so hard to believe that sometimes, I think. So it helps that somebody like the Rebbe is telling us that that is really, truly the case. And the Rebbe tells us, he gives us the opportunity to have from the Balshemto's perspective and from the Altarbis perspective. And both of those are integral to the process, I think. I don't think you can really have one without the other. And I think the fact that they were both born on the same day really also is an extra stamp of approval on that reality. So let's talk about 
what is the Alter Rebbe's Hasidism versus what is the Baal Shem Hasidism? Why am I saying that we need both of those things? So just to give some background on the Baal Shem Tov and who he is and why he shared the type of Hasidus that he was sharing is historically, I'm not an expert on this, so this is just kind of what I know very basically. But from my understanding, the Jews were completely and totally heartbroken at that time. They had just gone through a false Mashiach, a false Messiah, um, Shabzai Tzvi. Mm-hmm. And just like for a second, we learn about this in school and whatever, but like when you actually internalize what that would feel like, like there are so many times where I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like all the yearning that we as Jewish people have for Mashiach, like they thought that it was coming true. They really, truly did. And then it was just kidding. This isn't it. It's devastating. Like that would totally throw me for a loop of like, so painful. So there was that. And then there was also just this general attitude of like, you had to be a certain type of person in order to have a relationship with Hashem. You had to be holy. You had to fast. People were even engaging in behaviors at that time that were like self-inflicting pain because they were suffering for the sake of heaven. That was the way to go. And the Baal was like, hey, guys, not only can every single person have a connection with Hashem and is loved mm-hmm. by Hashem infinitely. We also have to love each other. We have to work a The Baal Shem Tov was this like, he's almost like depicted as a hippie-like character sometimes, just like full of love and acceptance and like even like the simple thing. And he's the one with the story of Hashka. He like brought Hashkach a practice, like everything happens for a reason. Really just kind of like slowing things down, making things a positive experience. And that was so healing for that generation. That was exactly what they needed. And I would argue that's a lot of times we need bits of that still today in our generation. So that's the Balshamtov in a nutshell. And by the way, the Balshamtov was also like, just ask who he was as a person. He was like in hiding. He was like one of the hidden Sadiqim. Like he didn't want to. And he was like called upon to do this. It wasn't like the nitty gritty things. It was just like a hug. Balshamtov was a hug. Now, a couple of years later, we have the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe was the first Rebbe of Chabad Hasidus. So there are seven Rebbes, and he was the first one. He's the author of the Tanya. He's the author of the Shulchan Aruch. And I think both of those things are really directions, like mamash step-by-step. Chabad is Chacham Bina Das, and it is basically using your intellect. This is like a whole nother discussion, but it's using your intellect to serve Hashem. That's very simply put, but basically the altar will really give step-by-step of how each and every part of you can be incorporated. I love that you brought in what the Baal Shem Tov brought to the table and what the Alter Rebbe did, because like you said, like the Baal Shem Tov kind of lifted up a generation, just embraced them. And the way that the Rebbe describes the Baal Shem Tov's Chassidus is that it's this encompassing Chassidus that just lifts a person up and just embraces their whole self in a very encompassing way to draw them close to Hashem, which is a beautiful and necessary thing. The only thing that's missing that the altar became to add to that was that sometimes in those instances, the person themselves can remain unchanged because they're swept up in this embrace and they're swept up in this uplifting energy. But internally, all the details of who they are, all the details of their character are left untouched because their general self, their general spirit is just like 
carried and pulled by this incredible light. And then all the details of who they are, are left behind. I love how you said that like both the Tanya and the Shulchan Aruch are both so directional, which brings me back to what we were talking about being fully immersed. It's about figuring out how all the elements of who we are and of what we experience could be channeled for godliness. And the Tanya, which is the altar of his work, takes us on that journey of learning about our animal soul, which is our more self-centered survival-based instinct, how that could be transformed literally to godliness, how like the same way a human being takes pleasure in food, a human being can take pleasure in the godly experience and the pleasure of food could be a godly experience. So it's figuring out how to actually fully integrate every detail of who you are. And then when you have that combined with that general embrace and uplifting joy, connection to Hashem, faith of the Baal Shem Chassidus, I mean, the altar Rebbe came after the Baal Shem Tov. So he's just building on what the Baal Shem Tov already gave us. They were born on the same day. We are given both of their energies on the same day. Both of those pieces are huge components to our divine service. One just being like lifted up, carried, embraced, allowing ourselves to just be in that hug, as you said. And then the other one is the lifelong work of figuring out all the elements of our life, all of our struggles, all the uglier parts of ourselves. How can I not alienate these parts of who I am, but integrate and channel them in a godly way? So the altar of his work is not about glorifying struggle full stop. It's about glorifying how struggle is such an important piece of a human being's journey and is God's greatest pleasure and is a human being's service in this world. And how could we navigate that struggle with faith, with an understanding of how divine the experience is and with clarity about how it's allowing us to transform who we are as human beings and make our bodies aware of the godly reality of our lives. Something I would love to hear your thoughts on is the fact that I feel like our generation, like mine and yours, is kind of in the position where intuitively we're not willing to do it any other way. Mm. Like the whole concept of Chabad, of developing emotions towards Hashem so that all the mitzvahs are done with love, with awe, with connection, not with any dryness not with any disassociation of the self, but like with a complete, like bringing your full self, like I am here, Hashem, in this experience. And even when things are a little hard, it still has all of the limbs engaged, present, embodied. And I know for myself, I know for you, I know for a lot of my friends, it's like that sense of self-betrayal is not an option in our Yiddishkeit. We want to be connected. And because of the time that we live in, because of probably outside influences, I also think because of how close we are to Mashiach, we have this experience where it's like, we want our Yiddishkeit so badly. And we also cannot override who we are as people. And so because we have this strong desire to be connected to our Yiddishkeit, and we have an animal soul unwillingness to 
betray ourselves and to override ourselves and to disassociate in order to connect to God. And so as a result, because we each have a neshama that is thirsting to be connected to God and our unique animal soul at this time in life is also refuses to disassociate from its body, from its personality, to override who it is. So then we're like locked and we're like, okay, integration is the only way forward. Actually learning and transforming that learning into emotion, into a visceral experience, into a real human desire to connect. That's the only way this is going to work. Like sometimes I wish I could betray myself a little bit, disassociate because I'm like, Oh, just get there a little faster. But I know that like Hashem created me like this. He created this generation like this because we're so close to Mashiach. And the Rebbe literally says it here. He's like, if it's not full immersion, that's not what God is looking for. Chassidus is a taste of Mashiach, which is your essence is expressed and disseminated into every part of who you are that like you as a human being thirst for God. Round of applause. That was beautiful. I loved every word <laughs> like, you just said. I can't breathe. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm like so... Wow. Okay. These are my thoughts, questions, and comments. <laughs> no concerns. So I was thinking a couple things. First of all, I love how you pointed out that this is an animal soul desire, so to speak. Because first of all, it's not always. I think that there are times that it is a, it might be, and even if it is just an animal soul thing, like that is a very practical example of what we're talking about. That is like my animal soul is yearning for being an individual. It's yearning for self-expression. That's what it wants. And then it's almost like, it's really a way to like bridge that and say like, oh my goodness, amazing. I'm going to make sure to be 100% authentic in my experience connecting with Hashem. It's saying I am an individual. I deserve to be expressed. I have to be authentic to myself. And just not saying that it's always necessarily the animal soul that's saying that. But if it is, it's such a beautiful opportunity to use that to serve Hashem. That's literally the entire point, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to use the animal soul to serve Hashem. And so if the animal soul is saying that, and Hasidus, this was like my, when we were learning the Sikha together, when the Sikha said this, I like started crying because I was like, it was just so powerful that the same way that we're demanding to show up this way in our relationship with Hashem and in our experience with Yiddishkeit and in our experience with ourselves, Hasidus is demanding of us the same thing. It literally says, Hasidus is demanding you serve Hashem with Pneumius, with all of you, with your entire inner world. So nice to be on the same page. What a blessing. It could sometimes get really overwhelming to look at like the state of the world and how much people are into identity. And it's very easy to have thoughts like, get over yourself. Just do it. But if realistically speaking, if my Sahara is telling me, no, I don't want to get over myself. Myself needs to do this, right? Let me use that because that's what's happening, right? I don't know. It's confusing though, because I feel like there are some times in the Tanya, and I think that there are very specific times when we are supposed to just push something away with two hands. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets into a whole discussion about like Escafia versus Hesapcha, like transforming mm-hmm. an experience versus like pushing away an experience. But I think that if you have an opportunity to transform, I think it's not only is it like powerful, I think it's really working towards the goal of integration, in my opinion. That's actually a really good question. When do certain thoughts need to be pushed away and when are they an invitation to be transformed? And just off the top of my head, just 
some of the examples that I can remember of the Alter Rebbe talking about pushing things away have to do with something dragging you down in the moment. It's not like a core part of who you are. So it's not like, oh, your personality is really resistant to X, Y, Z. Just push that out of your head. Cause it's not like a foreign thought that's like popping into your head. It's not an anxious thought or a depressed thought or a thought of not trusting. It's like a core part of who you are that you don't push away with two hands that you have to look in the eye and you have to transform. But also within inset times, right? Looking something in the eye. Cause sometimes it's not so easy to look. You can't just, <laughs> I wish I, I pray for everybody who's listening that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that you can just look your darkest demons in the eye. And then they're like, Oh, I, I captain <laughs> I'm following orders now, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. I've transformed. Yeah. <laughs> so understanding that it's a journey, first of all, it takes a lot of pressure off because I know for myself, sometimes I can really get stuck with like, Oh, this part is not transformed yet. I don't really know what to do here. It will stop me from moving forward sometimes. Mm-hmm. It will be like, I can't really quite move forward with that because this is not really figured out yet. And it freezes me. But like, it's okay if not everything is figured out yet. As long as you're still over time figuring it out. Yeah. And nobody demands that of you, by the way. Nobody demands that in this moment you have to be that it's over. Like everyone says it's a lifetime process, isn't it? I have a feeling that being Bainini is sometimes pushing away, as hard as it is for me to say, sometimes being Bainini is pushing away self-help time. Like pushing away time to revamp the psyche hour because there are other things that need to get done sometimes that are also extremely important. I don't know. That might've been a really radical statement. No, I think it's interesting that you brought in the Bainini because I feel like the character of the Bainini for a long time, I perceived it to be this intense struggler, like always super engaged in battle internally. And I feel like over time, my sense of the Bainini starts feeling like a much more, like the Bainini character is actually like a much calmer, more regulated Mm. person who's like integrated and actually is not constantly like warding things off, but has habituated themselves to godliness, has habituated themselves to Torah and mitzvot, have like a calm and regulated sense of self. And so therefore they're able to sort of like address these things and these struggles that do come up internally, not in this like intense existentially angsty way, but in like a calm, regulated, like, oh, not right now, you know, like push it out with two hands. And it's like, not right now. Like you're not welcome here right now, which is a much calmer energy. I think it's that it's exactly what Hasidus is trying to help us achieve, which is it's integrated. It's holistic. It's regulated. It's not a fight between animal soul, godly soul in this like really intense way. Like it doesn't mean that we don't feel inner tension or struggle we're humans. We always will, but we can work through that tension in a healthy way with clarity about our purpose, et cetera. Yeah. And I really like what you said about the Bainini and the minute by minute part is crucial. I think it forces you to be present in that way. Also, I'm committed to the thing that I'm doing right now. I'm not worried about what's happened two minutes ago or in five minutes from now. Mm. By the way, something I think is interesting to talk about 
in regards to what you said about how many young people feel the great urge and desire to be authentic to themselves. And that's the culture that we live in. I think all of these things are hashkacha pratis. Like this can also be a struggle. I do think it could definitely be a struggle, but this is the hashkacha pratis of who we are. It's like, we can't dismantle <laughs> the influences that have made us who we are. Like, this is who we are. We want to have a relationship with Hashem. And most young people feel a really strong desire to be true to themselves. And I think that very often the way that it's framed, and I'm sure I've said this too, because like, this is just like the neat way that it's put. And that I put it in my head is that when I say like, oh, this doesn't feel true to me, someone will say, well, it's true to your soul. It's true to your neshama. Mm, and so even if yeah. it doesn't feel true to you, it is true to you, which I agree with. And I believe, but I think that something that I've come to realize in my own life and in my own experience is that it is true that it's true to my neshama right now. The gap feels so wide between what my neshama wants and what my human self wants. And usually when I feel that gap most intensely is when I haven't been learning, when I haven't been so connected. And it's always an indication. Like if I'm struggling in this area and it so doesn't feel true to me, I need to be learning. And as soon as I get into like, why do we do this? As soon as I'm learning the Hasidus about it, or I'm learning the actual Torah, my human self is willing to get on board. But like so often we don't even try that route. We're like, oh, it's not true to you. Like, oh, who are you? You know, like who are you that it isn't true to? But like, if this is your life experience and you're making choices that have huge implications on your own life, then it needs to feel true to you. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying it's not true to me. So therefore I'm not going to do it. It's not true to me. This is a signal that I need to be more integrated, that I need to learn this chassidus that came into the world in Chayel, that I need to immerse myself more completely, that there are parts of me that are not aligned with my neshama and it's time to get them aligned in the most wholesome and that does not mean kicking them to the curb because they're there for a reason. That's very important, I think, to point out. <laughs> that doesn't mean, oh, you don't go here. Like you're not aligned. You're not Hasidish enough. You're not holy enough to be on this mission right. with me. I, you need to take a seat. My first thought is when you were mentioning that bridge, it was just a great visual. Like I really see a gap. And sometimes you can't even hear the soul because one part might be louder than another, right? When it's like, this isn't me. Mm. And this is just something I like to run by myself. And from an intellectual place, it gauges what I'm hearing, what feedback I'm getting from myself. It's like on computers sometimes, you know, when you run a virus scan to see what's happening. Like for me, this is kind of a little bit of a virus scan. There's this concept in Hasidus of tohu and tikkun. It's a very complicated concept that whatever I think I understand, I probably don't even really fully understand. But from the basic level that I do understand, it's when Hashem created the world, there was this process. And in this process, there is the world of Tohu and there's the world of Tikkun. And in the world of Tohu, we have each of the spheros. And those spheros are so loud and so themselves that they do not have the ability to combine with the other spheros. So Chesed and Guvura, there wasn't Chesed Shebegvura that like we have, like when we count spheros Omer, right? We have like the combination of spheros that kind of feed into each other, that they create this like integrative system. That did not exist. And it was so intense and so chaotic that it shattered. And those pieces like fell down and the sparks that we're picking up on today and like that we have to elevate. And I really would love to learn more about this. 
But the part that is important for the sake of this discussion is the fact that in the world of Tohu, each sphera could not lessen themselves or open themselves up to another perspective, to another voice, another attitude. They were so full of themselves. And Tohu is actually a higher level than Tikkun, by the way. It's almost closer in like the process of Seder Hashtoshlis, like it is higher up there. So there's something to say about how authentic each of these parts were being, each of these spheres were being. But I kind of think to myself sometimes, like if something is being so loud that is not allowing other parts of me to be heard and listened to or to be integrated into this experience, I get a little bit suspicious of it. And I say, there's lots of reasons that that things can really want to be heard. They could be hurting. They could be full of ego. But ego is kind of just like you built a wall because you're protecting yourself. They're usually just protecting something in my experience. So I think that the virus scan that I run through is, oh, this this is kind of sounding a bit tohu-y, which is like, tohu is, by the way, a total world of chaos. When we have something that's like so specific and loud and whatever, like we said, the Banani is like chill and regulated. The Neshama is like, it knows MS. It's not yelling. <laughs> there is a concept of the soul crying out. But even that, it's there's a, a certain specific voice to that. It's not, I think when we start like exploring our inner world, we become fam- a little bit more familiar with it. So I would say like back to like the bridge between like bridging that gap. When something takes over the scene, when a voice takes over the stage and... It's like, I don't feel connected to this. I don't want to. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think that I would say to do it anyways and to evaluate it after. Another thought I had while you were talking about this like bridge and the two and the two gaps is like, is there any sort of overlap that these two things have in common? So I know that you brought in learning. And I think that that's like really important because like using the mind and using the body and that experience it really caters to both ends of the spectrum. And that's why integration is able to happen because of that. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why we have to use like our talents and the things that we're born with to bring Flutter and Shellacus shine because there is a huge gap. In reality, we mm-hmm. have two souls. <laughs> There's really a lot of chaos going on inside. It's not easy being human. Well, also what happens is, is that I'm just like thinking, as you just said that, is that when we use our unique selves to be immersed in godliness, when we kind of bridge it before we're ready, before it feels completely intuitive to us, what ends up happening is, is that we identify with our behavior and that builds our self-concept and that builds our desires. And that's why I think that like anyone who's creative in any way or like expressive in any way, which is every person in this world. So you know, like learning something and you don't feel connected to it and then forcing yourself to engage and participate with it, like by creating something about it, even if you don't feel inspired by the concept is going to help you identify with the concept and going to help you understand it and understand where it shows up in your life. Because as soon as your hands are dirty and you are playing with it and you are engaged, then like you kind of bridge that gap. And something I'm wondering is like, when we feel that gap in our lives, in our inner world, when we're making a choice, is it a gap or is it an arrow to go deeper? Ooh. Is it pointing us to our neshama actually not being able to fully express itself? 
and saying like, no, listen more deeply, listen for longer, get more specific. Don't just speak in general terms. Don't just accept what someone is telling you. Like, listen, listen to the voice of God. Listen to the words of the Torah, pay attention, go deeper, sit with it. Maybe you'll discover that the gap isn't really there, but you only can discover that when you're actually fully paying attention. So it's kind of like, pay attention. You know, you're just doing this in the way that something that the Rebbe described was how like you can do Torah and mitzvahs in a chatzonistic way where like everything just touches the external parts of you. And so even though you're technically doing it, you don't become united with the Torah and mitzvahs, but that Hasidus is trying to bring us to a place where we do and connect to Torah and mitzvahs in this pneumistic essential way. And when I feel that, and whenever we feel that big gap between who I am and this act or choice that I want to be making, I can see that bridge as an opportunity to do it in a more pneumistic way instead of being so threatened by it and thinking like, oh, if I pay attention to this gap, then I'm going to threaten my Yiddish guy because maybe I just won't end up making the godly choice because I'm going to end up saying like, I need to be true to myself, but that's not trusting my neshama. No, maybe if I paid attention, what would actually happen is that I would just do it in a more pneumistic way, which is what Hasidus is trying to bring us to, trying to bring us to Mashiach, which is... (laughs) Immersion. I love what you just said. Everything I could cry. <laughs> Tell me. I want to hear like what your thoughts are. I don't even feel self-aware in how I'm talking. I'm like, I hope I'm not sharing too much because I'm like just like really. It's good. I going think, with it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. With I don't you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> My first cynical. I don't actually. You know what? Go with it, Sima. Let's hear the cynicism. Yeah, because you know, lay it on. This is the gap, and I'm here for it. Okay. What if somebody is having doubts about Torah mitzvahs in the first place? Because a lot of the times that is the gap. Because mm-hmm. what you were saying, it sounded like was you have that as the base, you know, that's true. And so like you can whatever, but for many people, the gap is, I don't, and I don't know if this is, you know, this may not mm. feel, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right for me. And mm. there could be lots of reasons for that. I hope that people challenge that. I think like within the challenge itself, maybe that is, I don't know. But yeah, what does one do in that? I don't know. It's a really good question. And I'm just like, you know what my instinct is? Hmm. Is that it's the same thing. It's an arrow to go deeper. I don't know. My first thing is like, would you say that I would be wary about going on that journey with an agenda? Mm. Just because I don't think that's, that's not, it's scary. It's really scary when we're in places of doubt to open up that can of worms, sometimes it can feel like the questions are never going to end. And where is it going to leave me? And it's funny because in, in my experience of life and anytime thus far, <laughs> it has worked out in that way. There are times I was like extremely, extremely questioning and doubtful and in pain about the whole situation. I've always come back. It's always led me back. But then for some reason, every time when it comes back again, it's like you're starting again and it's an arrow to go deeper. You're absolutely right. But it's really hard to figure out the balance between, does that mean that I just like go out and explore everything? How do you navigate that dark space? It's really dark in there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that you need a mashbia, sometimes a therapist, friends, 
that gap, it's not always so dramatic. I really think that what you said before about doing it anyway, like the line of just do it, that is something that like really feels harsh to us. I think when it's framed in a different way for myself and in my own Yiddishkeit, this has made it feel more sincere, compassionate, and gentle. Is not just do it, but it's I'm committed and I'm maintaining that commitment. And even though I'm struggling and even though I have questions, I'm still committed. So these questions don't mean like I'm dropping anything because I'm committed. I trust, like trusting in my Yiddish guide means that like, even though right now it doesn't feel true to me, I'm still able to believe in that clarity I once had, in the belief I have in God, in the belief I have in the things that I've learned. So even if right now things feel dark and cloudy, I'm still committed. Kind of like if I committed myself to a goal and I'm like not really in the mood, but even if I'm not in the mood, like I trust that like, okay, when I set my alarm last night, like there was something I knew that I don't know right now. And I'm going to trust that because I'm committed to that higher part of myself. So I think the same thing is true in our Yiddish guy. When I talk about bridging the gap, I don't think that going out and just exploring is the path. In my opinion, I think that it just further clouds our judgment, further confuses us and further takes us away from our essence. But I think it's like remaining committed, not just do it, but remaining committed, like in a relationship, remaining committed to our Yiddishkeit and also going deeper and also saying clearly the Yiddishkeit of yesterday or of a month ago or of last year, it's not enough anymore and I'm struggling. So this is my opportunity now to like actually become more integrated, become more holistic, become like more pneumiastic. I'm curious. I would like to challenge you and myself because mm-hmm. I I don't know yet what's going to happen, but I'd like to challenge you and myself to think of another thing besides for commitment, because I think commitment's a really important and it's a tool, but I think the same generation that we're talking to that is authentic and I don't know, I feel like there's a big struggle with commitment in general. Like technically speaking, we do live in a culture and this could be like, I'm not saying that this is right because it's the, I'm not at all saying that, but we do live in a culture where if I marry somebody and I'm committed to them and doesn't feel aligned with me anymore and it doesn't feel good, I'm going to move on. And Yiddishkeit tells us to not do that. I'm really challenging you here because I have no idea the answer to this. If if you're speaking to somebody who has doubts about their Yiddishkeit, Mm -hmm. I just don't see how sometimes saying just you're committed to it. So pull through is the answer. I see how sometimes that can work. I wonder if there's another path. Because this could, by the way, the commitment thing can simultaneously be true without that being the thing that we're focusing on. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I totally get your point. For me, this concept of commitment is what carries me. It carries me too sometimes. Okay, I I have something. So when I was in seminary, I went to Zohar. And I was really going through it with Hashem. I was really going through it with God. And the rabbi of the seminary, Rabbi Herman, this was something that was specific to me. I don't, don't need everybody to like say, like, oh, I should go do that now too. Resonates cool. But um, I think he knew who I was. That's why he felt comfortable giving this advice. He said to me, why don't you be an atheist for a week and see how it goes? I was able to see very clearly why I said that, but I was like, well, what about all like me? What about me? What about Shabbos? What about kosher? Like, why would I keep all those things if I was an atheist? He's like, you keep Shabbos because Shabbos is really nice. 
not because you're committed to God or because you even believe in him because you get to turn off your phone. It's relaxing. Like there are things about mitzvahs, most of them that we can find that are just make sense. They're nice. Not saying all of them, but we can find places within ourselves where things work. So for that time period, like that was what can carry me over. But I was able to notice what was so powerful about attempting to be an atheist for a week when it was like literally such a fail. I was the worst atheist in the entire world. <laughs> You're like the most soulful. Oh my gosh. Godly. So, so bad at it. <laughs> that week I heard bad news. And instead of my first reaction would have been, God, again, seriously, mm. if you don't believe in God, there's no one to be angry at. You kind of are just like, oh, that's nature. In nature, when people get sick, they die. Mm. And I think because this relationship is real, this relationship with God, it's not all butterflies and rainbows. And I think too, for me at that time, what I needed was to step away from I didn't step away from the relationship even. I was still I was still married. <laughs> I still did the things that required for me within the marriage. I just cut there was a little bit of like a a distance that I took. And then something about that, I was able to kind of reapproach it. And then understanding that Havaihu Elohim, like the God that is the nature and whatever is also this infinite God and they're the same thing and it comes with a package. So I would say another thing that can carry you through that gap time, if you're having a hard time feeling towards feelings, have feelings towards God, like positive feeling towards God, like viewing him in a positive regard. <laughs> this is radical, but do Torah because it's fun or it's nice or you like find the fun within it. And once you find the fun within it for yourself, then I think you can approach a relationship as yourself. You're not a victim to your Judaism. You're not a victim to whatever. You're like taking ownership of it. That was a very real experience that I actually went through. It yeah. might be confusing for some people. I think what you're saying is very powerful. When we hear words like commitment, we think this is about God. This is not about me. This is like pushing myself aside to like stay committed to God because this is important to him. I think that so much of what we're talking about like is wrapped up in like how someone defines commitment, what connotations it has. Like does commitment have a harsh connotation to you? Does it feel like something that's about the other person? Oh, I committed like my word to the other person. So therefore- hey, That's really interesting actually. Yeah. Because like to me, so much of my own- adulthood has been learning to see a commitment to myself and to my highest self and to my loved ones in like a really gentle, loving way where it's about taking ownership over my life. It's about pursuing the things that I want. Commitment is so much more about care and nurture and respect for the people I love, for my deepest, highest self, for the things that I want, then it is about like pleasing someone else who a previous part of me gave my word to. As soon as you enter a time in your life where you really don't have to be committed to a lot of other people if you don't want to be, the commitments that you make are these real choices and they're not harsh. They're usually made out of love and desire. So fulfilling them for myself does not feel harsh. It feels respectful to the people I love and to myself. It feels respectful to my ability to love and to create and all the good stuff. I would like you to write that down for me so that I can develop a new relationship with commitment. <laughs> I'm serious. I think that that is... Look at you pumping me up today, Seema. <laughs> I think that's like such a healthy, 
like, yeah, you just gave me a lot of insight onto like, I do have a very, like, there's a lot of connotation with commitment that is not positive. And that's probably why I reacted that way. But what you're saying and commitment in that way is like, what a way to be a human of integrity, Mm. really showing up (laughs) in a soft way. And again, like, I'd love to add that to the Bainanese name tag also, like along with all the other ways that we're reframing the Bainanese, like commitment in that way. This sounds, I like it. Commitment out of integrity, out of love, out of desire, out of soft, like nurture, like the words you were using were all so feminine. Also in control, like not, again, we can have connotations with the word control, but like right. intentional. That's probably, mm-hmm. it's not something that you were like, oh, I have to, because I'm committed to like, I'm going, not have to become committed to, I'm going to, because I committed. It's mm-hmm. like a very different energy to it. And wow, I learned a lot from that. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I said it. And I definitely think that I am someone who struggled with commitments to myself first and foremost before anything else. And that is where that rewiring had to happen is that no one else is going to commit to making things happen for me. Even things that are like built in commitments, like no one else can commit to wake up for my child. And that's like something that I can't get out of. Thank God. And then there's like other things that like feel more optional, but then they're not really optional because like if we make them optional, then we basically like totally disregard ourselves and like our deepest dreams and desires and missions. So like being able to be committed in that way to, to life (laughs) is so essential. I also have to say that like when you start to see what your practical struggles are as a person it makes the struggle within Yiddishkeit so much less loaded because I know that anyone who struggles with commitment when it comes to halacha and tarin mitzvahs really feels like it's a reflection of their belief in Hashem and of their connection to Hashem. And I really challenge that. And I would say it's probably much more of a reflection of just like your personality type and the fact that you likely struggle with commitments to yourself that no one holds you accountable to. You probably struggle with like discipline in certain areas. It's not necessarily a God issue, you know? And we're bringing this back, bringing everything back from the beginning, like into that. It's like, Mm -hmm. you really are the one that's showing up in the relationship. It's not this alternative reality version of you who's a Jew. Mm -hmm. So you with all your baggage, all your issues, all your commitment phobias, whatever it is that you're showing up with. And we were created that way. Hashem made us that way. And he's like, oh, yay. Seema with the commitment issues is here to serve me. That's so exciting. I love that you brought that full circle because I think that when it comes to these areas, like that's exactly what Chayel is about, is that Hasidus is about looking at all the details in the Tanya, the altar looks at all parts of who you are, all the different struggles that you have and says, okay, like let's work with who you are. Let's work with your struggles. Let's work with your human self and let's train your human self to love God to connect to God, to commit to God, to show up for God, to show up for your neshama, to show up for your divine self, to show up for your purpose. Like, let's actually get into it. And whatever unique personality you have, it just expresses itself so differently. But just that to me is like, it's like not a demanding thing. It's like a a relief. 
It's like, so relieving. Oh. Yeah, that's exactly the word I would use too. Right? Like, oh. Yeah. I'm okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is okay. Yeah, totally. Also, like, let's address this. Like, let's address this. And this is eventually going to be my biggest gifts in my Yiddishkeit. This is what's going to allow me to be one with Hashem and one with his Torah. It's not trying to pull me further. It's trying to bring me close. You have a poem that I don't know if it is this. I haven't heard it, but I think it's the one you start with. The one that you, when you introduce the Tanya and you're inviting. Mm. It's reminding me of this a lot because it's you're inviting. It can also just be inviting one person and all those things that you're addressing are just one person. Welcome. The welcome poem. The welcome poem. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I have the guts? <laughs> Here. I could get it. Hold on. I'd actually be down here. Tanya, it actually works so... It, it's Kisavo. Welcome. Oh, nice. Okay, so this is a poem that I wrote as an introduction to the Tanya, as an invitation to the Alter Rebbe's words, where the Alter Rebbe is inviting us to come on this journey of integration, of learning about God, of learning about our godly souls as a way of really experiencing desire and emotion for godliness so that we're really coming to God in this like holistic, integrated, full way. Welcome friends. Welcome travelers, strivers, reachers, radicals, regulars, followers, and leaders. If you struggle, welcome. If you seek, Take a seat, get comfortable. We'll be here a while. In the pages of this book, unravel your body's skin. Disentangle the letters. We're letting God in. In the unfolded worlds, seek sense in the senseless. In the streets of your soul, prepare to meet God. Come in. Come closer. In the unvisited pages, the eternal is waiting. I just want to take a minute to just say how grateful I am for the gift of Hasidus in our lives. I do not know where my Yiddishkeit would be, my understanding of myself would be, and I feel like there's something about sitting here with you, my childhood friend, who I feel so close with and so comfortable with. I'm like, I'm a little nervous that all of this is being recorded, <laughs> but I'm just like, Ashrenu, we are so lucky. Chayel is such a celebration when this light was brought into the world, into our lives, where we were welcomed onto this journey, where we get to actually become integrated in all parts of who we are in such a human and holy way, in such a natural way, in such an elevated way, in a way that's so transcendent and also so holistic. I'm so grateful. It's almost like I can't believe it. Sometimes when I'm talking to you or talking to a friend and you're like, how did it happen that I, you can like 
trip yourself out a bit and like go back generations and generations and be like my parents and their like your grandparents how they ended up for the Rebbe Shluchus in Houston and this and that and then we ended up in the same class and like that feeling of like just I can't believe that I have such a gift mm-hmm. and I was born into it it's just given to me and it's really humbling that's really and just I'm in awe and I'm humbled by the opportunity to engage with something like this I want to just sometimes just being like very real about myself. Like I didn't choose this. I ended up here with this truth and this narrative of like Hashem and Torah and Chassidus and whatever, because that's what I was taught and it works and it makes sense. And that's one way to look at it. But like what I just said before is like so much more of like a positive reframe. Why not me? Why can't I be so lucky as to encounter the truth of the world? <laughs> mm. Truth of the world, that whatever, however you want to Chassidus. Why not? Why not me? Mm-hmm. Just thank you. Thank you that I, mm-hmm. thanks Hashem. <laughs> like maybe we actually did luck out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's a nice feeling to have. There are moments when I definitely feel like the gullus, the inner gullus and the external gullus. And then there are moments that are given to me by Hasidus, which the Rebbe talks about in the Sikha, that Hasidus is a taste of Mashiach. Mashiach is when revelation is going to be in a panemistic way, in the most like internal, integrated way. And there are just these brief glimpses where Hasidus allows us to feel that essential panemistic connection to God, where we get to have a taste of Mashiach. And all Jews have Torah, all Jews have Hasidus. Hasidus is the neshama of Torah. We are given access to a taste of Mashiach. And something that makes me feel so hopeful is the fact that Geula and redemption is a natural process of us becoming more sensitive to the godly reality, making the world more sensitive to the godly reality, making godliness more present and revealed in the world. And when I feel that taste of Mashiach when learning Chassidus, I know that if we all collectively and individually continue to have these conversations, to learn Hasidus in a real way, to try to transform the parts of ourselves that no one else sees, that are very pneumistic, that are very internal, that is bringing us to the revelation of godliness. That is naturally unfolding the process of Mashiach and we feel tastes of it and it's coming and godliness is becoming more and more revealed in the world. It's about time, eh? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber lechaber Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Chassidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too.
If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.